I knew you did. That's the first time I ever heard that song. I love that song. I love the message of that song, the melody, the harmony. It just, it's just a nice song. kind of reminds me of the chorus, I just keep trusting my Lord. I guess by that it's kind of got a little Western flavor to it, you know, like something might be singing out on a, out on a horse sometime or stop for a little campfire and, and uh, just strum a little guitar and sing a little Western kind of song. Wonderful message in that song. Thank you very much for providing that music for us tonight. We ended the message this morning as we were talking about how to be filled with the Spirit. We must yield to the Lord. We must surrender to the Lord. We must give in to the Lord. Give it up to the Lord. Step aside and let the Lord, let the Lord lead while we follow. And we ended this morning with a verse there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. 12 and 13, the last part of verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And we said in closing this morning that this is really a tremendous text uh, for uh, the, the, the teaching in Scripture, the truth in Scripture of what I like to call human responsibility with divine enablement. It is so easy for people to go to extremes on that subject. So many people stress so much the sovereignty of God, the working of God, the power of God, that God does it all and we don't do anything. It's just all of the Lord. We just step aside and do nothing. Now, on the other side, there are some that it's like we, we do have to do so much and there's so much pressure on to do so much that it doesn't seem like we're really allowing for the grace of God and the power of God think, look, he can do a whole lot better job than we could. But both of those things are, are important for Christians. Remember, remember now that we have human responsibility with divine enablement. Dr. Kenneth Wiest, in his commentary on Philippians, said this, and I really like this, okay? He said, in verse 12, we have human responsibility. In verse 13, we have divine enablement. Well, there they are. There's his words, in fact, okay? A perfect balance which must be kept if the Christian life is to be lived at its best. It is not a let go and let God affair. It is rather a take hold with God business. It is a mutual cooperation with the Holy Spirit in an interest and activity in the things of God. Did you get that? It is a mutual cooperation with the Holy Spirit in an interest and an activity in the things of God. The saint must not merely rest in the Holy Spirit for victory over sin and the production of a holy life. He must, in addition to this dependence upon the Spirit, say a positive no to sin and exert himself to the doing of the right. Here we have that incomprehensible and mysterious interaction between the free will of man and the sovereign grace of God. And we'll leave it there tonight. There are two other verses of Scripture that are very important as you think about yielding to the Holy Spirit and then living in obedience to Him. And as we yield to Him, as we obey His word, then we really have to trust Him, just to have faith in Him that He will completely fill us. He will empower us. We looked this morning at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21 for the first verse. Then we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19 for the second verse. We've looked at Philippians chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 13. And now tonight there are two verses, and really these probably are the most important two. They, I, I, I preach them last uh, because the other three first. It is God who works in us. 
both to will and to do of his good pleasure. All we do is cooperate. We keep remembering now, he indwells us. He lives within us, and he is mightily at work. All we have to do is surrender and yield to him. Now we come to two other verses, please. And I want you tonight to go to, first of all, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Because there are, when we think about the word yield, there are two verses of mine, two verses that ought to come to our mind very, very quickly. In fact, if you want to do any kind of studying at all, I have a whole bunch of books on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, a lot of them. And most of them will have a chapter in it, at one chapter, just on that subject of how to be filled with the Spirit. And you can go to a systematic theology book, a Bible doctrines book. There'll be a little section in pneumatology, the doctrine of the Spirit. There'll be a little section there on how to be filled with the Spirit. And it's amazing how many of those books will somewhere in that, in that subject of how to be filled with the Spirit, they will have in it Romans 6, verse 13, and Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And it's not just because the words are in there, because in Romans 6, 13, you have the word, the actual word yield. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you don't have the English word yield, you have the English word, will you tell me please, Romans 12, 1? Let's say the verse together, and you tell me what word in Romans 12, 1 means yield, okay? Together, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What word in that verse means yield? Present, right. And in fact, it is exactly the same Greek word. It's the same Greek word, but one in our English Bible in Romans 6.13, it's translated yield. In Romans 12.1, it's translated present, but it's exactly the same Greek word, okay? So I want to look at them tonight, but I want to look at them in reverse for a definite reason. We want to look, first of all, at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, because we have the word present or yield in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And the tense of the verb here is really important because it refers to a one time, once and for all, at a given point in time, a surrender of our entire being to the Lord. When we, when we look in a little bit, when we look at Romans 6.13, that's not so much a one-time yielding. That is a continual yielding of our body, our members to the Lord. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when God says through Paul, I beseech you, I beg of you, dear brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, you yield your bodies to the Lord, a, a living sacrifice that is a once and for all at a given point in time presentation, a yielding to the Lord. It's the giving our entire being. It's based, did you notice, it's based on the mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, on the basis of the mercies of God. And if you don't know what that's all about, sometime, just sit down and read the book of Romans. And just read those first three chapters that pretty much summarize, if there's none righteous, no, not one. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. And then read chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 where the focus is on salvation by the mercy of God, the grace of God. Salvation by not by works but by simple faith in Jesus Christ. And then read Romans chapter 8. 
and all that God does for us and all that God promises him. And then just go ahead and read 9 and 10 and 11. When you finish reading the first chapters 11, your mind will be very much on the subject of the mercy of God. And Paul says, God says through Paul, I beseech you, brethren, because of the mercies or on the basis of the mercies of God, it just makes good sense. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Once and for all, present your entire being to God. So it's a decision at a point in time with continual results. And notice the last phrase, which is your next word? Reasonable service. I've preached this many times, I'm sure. The word reasonable is the Greek word logikos, from which we get our English word logical, which simply means it makes good Sense, it's just logical. It's just what you expect. When you think of the mercies of God, and when you think what's involved in, 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 in Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us that we can be saved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, when we think of those Bible verses on the love of God and the, and the, the death of Jesus Christ, it's like, how logical. It just makes good sense to take our entire being and say, Father, I present it to you as a, not a dead sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. It's based on God's mercies. It's reasonable. And so the question is, who do I want to run my life? I mean, who is it now? Who do I want to run my life forever? Through his indwelling spirit, do I want God to run my life forever through his spirit that indwells me? Or do I want to run my own life? And this is a decision that a Christian makes. We sometimes call it a dedication decision. It's really not a, say, I'm going to consecrate my life. It's really not consecration. God does the consecrating. We do the dedicating. We dedicate our life to the Lord. We surrender our life to the Lord. We yield all of our being to the Lord. And every, now listen, you may not know, the, if you've done that, you may not know the exact day you did that. You say, well, I know the date of my salvation. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Say, well, I know the date that I was saved. Well, then when did you make this once and for all, once in a lifetime, final decision that you, are in, that you are giving your entire will, your entire being, all of you, over to the Lord once and for all? Say, when did you do that? And say, I don't know. I'm not saying that you have to know the date on the calendar. But I'm saying you have to have that experience before you ever really expect to be filled with the Spirit of God on a regular basis. And, and I've, I've, as I prepare the message, I thought, okay, Larry, when did you do that for the first time? I really, I really don't know. I don't know when the first time. There are many times I can look back to and think, well, maybe it was on that occasion. I remember that so well, what I was thinking. I remember what I told the Lord. Well, maybe it was this time over here. Maybe it was another time. But I do know there was one time in my life, I will never forget it, don't have time to tell you the whole story, when I'm in a Sunday school classroom on my knees in prayer and I say, Heavenly Father, I have no idea what you want out of my life from now to the day Jesus comes or I die. But whatever you want for me, that's what I want. If you want me in full-time Christian service, that is fine, you open the door I'll walk through with your leading. If you don't want me in full-time service, I will do whatever secular work there is. I'll do it for your glory. But from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I want to present myself to you because I want your will to be my will. I don't want my will to rule, so I present myself. I remember that very well, but there were 
other times when I really felt that same way, but I don't, my mind doesn't go to all those other times like it does that time. But has there been that time for you? So who do you want to run your life? And by the way, it's not a call to full-time ministry, although it might end up in that. I'm not, when God says, when God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, because we need more missionaries. We need more evangelists. We need more pastors. We need more music directors. We need more Christian school teachers. We need more. No, this is not a call to full-time service dedication. But it might lead to that. That might be where it goes. Sincerely yielding or surrendering to the will of God always precedes surrendering to specific commands of God. In other words, really, it should be easy. It really should be easy to submit to specific commands, specific promptings, once we have truly, sincerely, humbly yielded our entire being to God and said, here, I'm presenting my mind, my body, every part of me to you as a sacrifice. You do whatever you want to with it. Then when God says, okay, the next day or two weeks later or whatever else, he says, okay, I want you to do that. Why should that be hard? I want you to turn that off. Why should that be hard? I want you to read that book. Why should that be hard? I want you to stop doing this. Why should that be hard? I mean, you take any, you can get out a piece of paper and write down as many dozens or hundreds of specific commands you want to from God, whether it's things that he wants us to do or he tells us not to do, and it really should not be hard. There should be no struggle in obeying those commands, those promptings of the Lord once we've made the surrender to him all of our being. So it will soon manifest itself if we do what it says here. It will soon manifest itself in the fact that we will start saying yes to the things that God is prompting us to say yes to. And we will start saying no to the things that God is leading us to say no to because we have surrendered our will to him and, we, and we're serious about that. And by the way, I think there's a good illustration here of marriage. How many of you are married? Would you raise your hand? David, you're still married, aren't you? <laughs> okay. Uh, so what's this marriage ceremony thing? You are actually yielding to each other. You are submitting to each other. You are surrendering to each other. Now, you might say, uh, when the vows are read, you might say, I will. Or you might say, I do. Most of the time, they don't say yes, and I hope nobody says no. I think I told you about this wedding. I went, my wife and I went to a wedding a long time ago. Somebody used to, now if you know who I'm talking about, don't tell anybody, please, okay? There's a family that used to go to our church a long, long time ago. And they quit going to our church, but one of the, one of the girls in the family got married. And they sent my wife and I an invitation. And I said, let's go to that wedding. Went to that wedding. Now I will tell you where it was, but then some of you, you can figure out who it was. I'm not doing that. It was not in it was it was the United States. Yes, it was not in Oklahoma City. It was in a someplace close to Oklahoma City. And my wife and I went to this wedding. You will never forget it if you were there. Uh, the guys didn't wear suits and tucks or sport coats. They didn't wear dress shirts and ties. They wore cowboy boots. They wore blue jeans, and they wore t-shirts. And I might have even did they even wear cowboy hats. I'm not sure. And I don't remember what the, did you go with us to that? You know, no, you weren't there. Okay, good. You don't want to ask her. She doesn't know when they're just the two of us. Okay. I don't remember what the bridesmaids wore, but they weren't all dressed up real fancy either. 
and I can't remember exactly what the bride, I'm sure the, I'm sure the bride had a wedding dress on, but it was the most casual, countrified wedding you can ever imagine in your life. And the thing I remember most was when the pastor led the couple in their vows. And he said to the husband, do you take so-and-so to be your, not awful, is it? Lawful wedded wife, okay? Do you promise to love her, to cherish her, to da 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 you know, the whole thing. And he went like this. I'm telling you, he goes like this. You betcha. David, I can imagine you saying something like that at a wedding. He just kind of goes, you betcha. I thought, you betcha. Man, I about lost it. I nudged my wife. I thought, I'll never forget this wedding as long as, and I haven't. I'm still telling you about it tonight. Okay, you betcha. So maybe at your wedding ceremony, you didn't say, you betcha. Maybe you didn't say, yes. I hope you didn't say, no. But what you did in that ceremony, if you were serious now, you were saying, you know what? I am yielding my life to you. As my husband, as my wife, I'm yours. Okay? As your husband, your wife, whatever, I'm yours. Okay? And you didn't say yes or no, but that's what you did. That was a one-time wedding ceremony where you made that surrender, you made that commitment, you did your yielding. But then, guess what? That didn't end it. You know, that was the presentation, so to speak, of your body as a living sacrifice, so to speak, to your mate. But then there was the honeymoon. Then the honeymoon was over, and you lived in your first little house or your first little apartment or your first tent, wherever you lived. And then it was like, guess what? From that day to this day, whether you know it or not, if you have been a good husband, if you have been a good wife, your life has basically been a matter of saying yes, 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 and no, no, no. You may have not said the actual words, but every single day you're married, you are saying yes to your wife in many different ways. Every single day you're married, you are saying no to your wife in different ways. Your life is changed forever. Once you make that commitment, that yielding, that surrender, and that's the way it's supposed to be spiritually. We make this once and for all commitment to the Lord that you have all of me, especially and in including you have my very will. And from that moment on, it's a matter of yes, yes, no, no, as God's spirit internally seeks to prompt us and to move us, and all we're supposed to do is to yield. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Would you go, please, if you will, to Romans chapter 6 for our last verse, Romans chapter 6. And notice, if you will, please, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Because here we have the word yield. Romans 6, 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But here's the word again. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So could I just kind of paraphrase that for you, please? Really simply, it'd go like this. Don't be giving all of the various parts of your body, surrendering them, yielding them up to sinning, but do be continually giving them, surrendering them, yielding up unto God. I mean, this is a key passage in the Bible on the doctrine of biblical sanctification. Sanctification of believer's life on a daily basis. 
It's all about, and really even though the phrase is not there, it's all about being filled with the Spirit. It's all about living in the power of the Spirit. It's all about being victorious over all the temptations that come our way to, to live short of the glory of God, to, to live outside of the will of God. How do we, how do we stay in the will of God and, and not get out of the will of God? How do we keep on glorifying the Lord every moment of our lives? How do we overcome all the temptations that come our way with the flesh and the enticements of the world and then the callings of Satan? How can we be victorious? Really, it's what Romans 6 is all about. And so would you follow along as I just read the 12 verses that lead into verse 13 and see if this makes good sense, okay? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, where did that come from? We'll go back to verse 19 of chapter 5. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by obedience, so by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But here's the key verse. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And you go right in, if you want, to the chapter 6, verse 1. Well, okay, if that's the case, where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? Shall we continue to live out a life that is coming from our sinful nature? Just keep on, no. So that grace may abound, so we can have more grace. God forbid, away with the thought. How shall we that are dead to sin, or how shall we that have died to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized or immersed into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Well, what's the result? Therefore, we believers are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, here's the key phrase, even so we also should what, folks? We should walk in newness of life. It just makes good sense. We should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, and we have been, we shall also be planted together in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, our old nature is or literally has been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead. This is another key verse. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And then look at verse 11. What is the first word of verse 11 out loud, please? Likewise. Oh, it's not just all about Jesus? It's not, all just, it's not just all about Jesus dying? Having victory over sin and death? It's not just all about Jesus rising from the grave, rising from the dead, and having victory over the grave and over sin and judgment and death? No, it's not just about Jesus. This has something to do with us. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look at verse 12. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. There's that word therefore again. Because of who Christ is. Because of all that he has done. And because we as a believer are in him. We are in Christ. Because that is all true. And Christ conquered sin and death and judgment and hell. And these things have no dominion over him. Now he says, okay, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it or yield to it in the lust thereof. Do not let sin get on the throne of your life and start commanding the various parts of your body around and lead you to sin. Don't do that. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves indeed to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Say no to sin because now you can do that. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let sin be commanding you around. You, you, you bark out the commands. Neither, neither yield ye your members the various, all the parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, tools, instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But in contrast to that, as a born-again, justified believer who's very dedicated to sanctification, Christ-likeness, walking in the will of God, glorifying Jesus Christ as all you want in your life because you have now made a presentation of your entire being to the Lord, and it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, okay, you want to know what I want you to do? I want you to take all the parts of your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You can name them all. Be as specific as you want to be and stop yielding them over. Stop surrendering them over unto sin. But take all those same parts of your body, every single part of your body, and yield it, surrender it over to me, to righteousness, to godliness, and he's not even finished. Look at this. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. We're going to stop there for just a moment. And I want, to, I want to show you three key words. And then we'll wrap it up and read the rest of the chapter and we're done. Okay. There are three things that come in here. When you think of the main foundational point is Jesus Christ has died unto sin. He conquered sin and he rose again. And now we as a believer are in him to walk in newness of life. So here's the first key word. It is found in verse 6. Because you've got the word know, you've got the word reckon, and you've got the word yield. That's the key. Number one, the word know, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old nature has been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Listen, we've got to know that. Just know that fact. Just know that truth. Also, same words found in verse 9. We've got to know this. Got to know this. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. So that word know becomes pretty important because there, there is a truth here that we simply have to know the facts. But that didn't stop there. Then you've got the second word, that's the word reckon. And that's found in verse 11. Likewise, reckon. What does reckon mean? To reckon means that I accept what I know for me. I accept God's truth for me. We use the word appropriate. I'm going to appropriate Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. So it's not just about him. 
I know what he did. I know what the word says. But I also know that God says that it affects me. That it has something to do with me. That I have now died to sin. And that I have now risen to walk in newness of life. That I don't have to be controlled by sin. I don't have to sin. Listen, I can say no to sin. I can say yes to doing right. Because I'm appropriating. I'm considering this to be true for me. That's the idea of reckoning. And then he says we are to yield. And we don't have to read again. Verses 12 and 13. Why? Because look how it ends. He says, let not sin, I'll read it anyway, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But watch this now. Yield yourselves unto God as whom? Would you read it with me? As those that are alive from the dead. So we gotta, we gotta, we got to live like it. Listen, we, we've arisen from the dead. Death does not have dominion over us. Sin has no more dominion over us. In Christ, we've risen from the grave. That's hard to understand. It's hard to explain, but it's something we have to know and believe it's true about Christ. It's true for us. And then we put it into practice as we say, guess what? I don't have to sin. I do not have to sin. I can say no to sin. And guess what? That's what I'm going to do. It's like when you get up in the morning and you dedicate yourself to the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to do. Sometime before you get, you know, sometime shortly after you know where you are. Okay, you're awake. You know you're still alive. You're awake. You're not sure if you can make it to the shower. You don't know if you can make it to the kitchen to get that cup of coffee. Uh, you don't know what it's like outside. You don't know anything about the day. But you know, guess what? Guess what? I didn't die during the night. Here I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm still alive. i got a new day here. Okay, say, Heavenly Father, I don't want to live for myself today. Like I preached this morning, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And your Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And I know that all during the day, he is working in me. He will be working in me all during the day that which is well-pleasing in your sight. He works in me both to will and to do what he wants me to do. And guess what? Lord, that's how I want to live today. You can make that decision in the morning, and we should. But then all during the day, how do we live? Because it won't be long, and the reality, the sincerity of that determination will be tested. I don't know when it'll happen. I don't know how many times during the day it'll happen. In all different situations during every day of our lives, here's this question, okay? What am I going to do? And if we're serious, we're saying, I know what God wants me to do. Maybe you have a Bible verse that comes to your mind. Maybe you don't. But it's like, look, I know what God wants me to do right now. Well, then, will I do it? Will I say yes and do it? Or will I, for whatever reason, say, I know, I know, I know, but, you know, whatever, and we go a different direction. That's what he's talking about here. And by the way, how we respond on a moment-by-moment basis will show who really is our master in life. What did we say this morning? 
IB, uh, not IBCs. What did we say this morning? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which, you, which is in you, which you have of God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And you say, yes, God's spirit lives within me. I've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed from sin. I've been redeemed from Satan. And now this Holy Spirit who works within me, guess what? I admit, I'm not my own. So I yield to you. Okay, then, what happens when the different situations come up? So what are we going to do with our eyes? Are we going to look at that? Are we going to read that? What are we going to do with our ears? Are we really going to listen to that? What are we going to think about? And when a thought comes to our mind that we know is not a right thought, are we going to dwell on it and get some pleasure out of it? Or are we going to cast that thought out? What are we going to do with our hands? What are we going to do with our feet? Where are we going to go? I mean, you take every part of your body all day long. Will I yield it as a tool to righteousness? Or will I do what I don't have to do? Will I yield it? as a tool to sin. Because God says in Romans 6, 12 and 13, we have a choice. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but do yield them as instruments of righteousness. And so look how it all ends. Look at verse 16. And then you ask yourself the question, like I have to ask myself the question, in looking at my life on a day-by-day -day basis, at the end of every day, whose servant was I? What or whom was my master? Because my life in reality proves that in all the decisions I make all day long. Watch this. We'll start at verse 15. For, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you, what's the next word? What is it? Yield, that's what this is all about. Know ye not that to whom you as a Christian yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that you, before you were saved, you were the servants of sin. But now you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that teaching which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin when you were saved, you became the servants of righteousness. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, the weakness of your flesh. For as you have, well, here it is again, yielded. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now. Before you were saved, that's what you did. Even so now, now that you're saved, yield your members as servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you and then in those things whereof you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. Now listen, folks. Don't you ever find yourself thinking about temptation and then how you respond? And it's like, 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, help me through. And I said, no. On the basis of my relationship with Christ and my position in him, I don't have to say yes. God working in me, I cooperated and said no. And then there's times when we don't cooperate. We go out, we make our own choice. And we fail again. Does it, ever go, does it ever go through your mind, you know what? I am so embarrassed. I am so frustrated. I am so disappointed with me. I am so ashamed that I would sin when I didn't have to. It is my fault. And then while you're confessing it to the Lord, it's like the Holy Spirit says, you know something? This is wonderful proof that you are truly saved. Because before you were saved, you did that and never felt embarrassed or frustrated or angry with yourself or whatever. You felt no shame in that. In fact, you used to brag about that. You used to laugh about that. You used to talk to your buddies about that. There was no shame. There was no embarrassment. There was no contrition. Aren't you thankful that I saved you? Aren't you thankful you have eternal life? Aren't you thankful that my spirit dwells within you? And then God says, you're right, you shouldn't have done that. You're right, you shouldn't have been listening to that. You're right, you shouldn't have been reading that. And listen, you're right, you should have shut it off. You're right, but I'm so glad that you confessed it. The relationship, the fellowship is restored like it never happened. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I don't know what area of life today your greatest temptation comes in. I just know there are so many different avenues of temptation. Aren't you glad Jesus overcame all temptation? What is it, Hebrews 4.15? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Only that can only be true of Jesus Christ. But we are all tempted through all kinds of different channels. And some things that might be my greatest temptation, you don't even struggle with. There are other things that might be huge in your life that's just a constant struggle. It's just no problem with me. There are so many different areas of temptation. And I don't know what's the leading area today, but I will tell you this. I believe in 2020, with all the advancements that we now have in technology, it may well be that the greatest temptations that God's people face today are what they see with their eyes, what they hear with their ears, whether it be a cell phone, uh, a tablet, a laptop, desk computer, television set, through social media and through entertainment, and how so many people are spending so much time looking at this, listening to that, checking out this. It may be that the greatest temptation today of anything, any part of our body about saying yes or no might just be our fingertip. It might just be our little thumb that goes off. It might be off. It might be, I think I'll leave my phone at home right now. I think when I get home tonight, I won't even turn on the TV. 
no, not going there. No, not doing that tonight, okay? Bow your heads, please, if you will. What's your which area of temptation tonight? Can be so many different things. But the key word here is yield. The key word is surrender. At once and for all, surrender to the Lord. One time, for real, with never ending results because then there's those day by day moments the situations of everyday life morning noon and night weekdays and weekends when we can say yes we can say no we can yield the various parts of our bodies as tools of righteousness and we can take those same body parts and surrender them as tools of unrighteousness to sin. Our Father, we do desire tonight to not be in charge of our own lives, to be fully surrendered to you as your bondservants, with you being our master. What a wonderful master to have. I pray tonight that the reality of Romans 12, 1, and Romans 6, verse 13, might help us, might help us tonight as we leave this place and the choice of what we do between now and bedtime. Might help us if you give us another day. As we wake up in the morning, throughout the morning, the afternoon and the evening hours, and then just day after day, however long you give us, I pray that we might enjoy the fullness, the filling, the power of thy spirit as we seek to yield to your promptings from within, we pray in Jesus' name.